And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Race IndyCar podcast. Very exciting to be here in person with JR, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway once again for a second year in a row and we'll be giving you uh, all the stories from a pretty wild qualifying weekend. So we've got Alex Pillow on pole, one of the closest margins of uh, winning a pole in the 500 history, which is pretty exciting. Uh, Rena's VK and Felix Rosenquist rounding out the front row. And then we also had the benefit of bump day, which we didn't have last year when we did the pod. So something a little bit new for us to, to get into this year. We had Jack Harvey bump out Graham Ray Hall at the absolute uh, latest possible opportunity. We also had some other interesting storylines going on in the race, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well, like AJ Foyt's resurgence. We had Callum Eilot doing his best to make the race after swapping chassis. And we also had Able Motorsports, who've put a program together in probably less than two months and have managed to make the race comfortably when some much bigger teams with bigger resources were were not able to. So uh, I guess, JR, we should probably... Uh, start with the speed that we saw we saw some big laps 235 miles an hour laps we didn't see those last year so uh, I guess did you have any kind of hint going into the into the qualifying weekend that we would see that I guess I thought based on last year and then Texas this year and so, so before we got to the weekend to kind of see what the conditions were like and all that kind of stuff I was expecting the pulse speed to be slower this year than it was last year in part just because I think the the general consensus is that the renewable fuel is slightly less power, but that just goes to show that you know the teams are always making gains and and the manufacturers for that matter are always making gains. I mean, I think that without seeing anything behind the scenes, you'd have to look at the rundown and say that Chevrolet in particular made a bit of a gain from last year to this year just because the Ganassi cars were the only Hondas that were in the top 12 and and you saw a number of different Chevy teams all kind of making a step forward so uh, kudos to those guys for for some additional work through the offseason to to find a little bit still eking more both manufacturers out of this 10 year old engine formula which is totally crazy so um, I think when it came down to it you just sort of track the conditions and you look at it it made sense to me that Saturday, that Sunday was going to be faster than Saturday. There was a little bit of wind on Saturday. There was the ambient conditions. The air was a little bit heavy. Um, it, it actually, you know, it interestingly sort of hurt some of the earlier runners on Saturday, which is very uncommon. Usually, you have as the as the day progresses, particularly from that kind of eleven noon into the early hours of the afternoon. It almost always just gets hotter. The track temp goes up. The conditions kind of deteriorate for those teams. I mean, you saw Penske pull Scott McLaughlin and Joseph Newgarden, I think in part because they thought, well, you know, surely this will be sort of the peak of how bad the conditions are. Uh, ultimately, that ended up seeming like probably a bad call. 
Um, so, so anyway, I, th- I think just as it progressed, we probably saw these speeds in part because when the guys went out, particularly for the top six, there was just, you know, there was no wind. The track temp was coming back to everybody because it was that late in the day, 515. It's starting to, just because you don't have quite as direct sunlight on the track, the track temp is less kind of aggressive, regardless of what the number says. It always just feels better that late in the day. Um, and, and that's, that's where these came from. So, you know, it's, we talked to Scott Dixon about this last year after he made pole, it would take so little at this point actually to see 236, 237. You saw those 235s in the morning with just like a sniff of a draft. Benjamin Peterson, 235, oh, like no, no toe, no yeah. toe in the morning. Um, you know, that's in nice high ambient very cool track kind of perfect conditions if, if we wanted to see the big times we'd have the tv window be at like nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> um and have it done then but uh but anyway yeah it's just uh you know it's it, always exciting at this place to see to see qualifying in a in an environment where the teams have all of this time and all of the resources to really extract the maximum out of it you know you go to you go to texas you go to iowa you go to a road course it's like you're just prepping for that event the weekend before. It's not, you know, you don't have quite the buildup, quite the, you know, sense of where you're going to be at. You do one qualsim, then you go back out and, you know, let it rip and see what happens. Um, whereas here, you know, you really get to see the full might of what these teams are capable of in qualifying. So between teams and drivers, you know, I've, I've always said, like, this is, this is a race weekend in and of itself. And, uh, and then some, really, when you think about it. So, Jack, I guess my question for you is whether you think Ganassi, Ganassi was was obviously the strongest team here last year. Coming into this year, they've been fast all weekend long. Did you feel like it was inevitable that they were going to be on the pole? They definitely looked really strong in practice, but when we got to Fast Friday, the four lap averages, the, the Ganassi guys were quite far down the, the order. So, I guess... There's like an air of inevitability about Ganassi that they're going to be strong in qualifying and strong in the race. But there was just enough of a element of doubt on that Friday, um, especially when we saw that McLaren was so strong. Um, we saw quite a few teams kind of bailing out of runs pretty early so that they didn't put up before lap average. So you didn't really know where they were at. So there was plenty of like um, trepidation going on, I guess, as to what was what was going to happen. And then you mentioned the conditions a little bit and we, we had a basically total change of the wind for Saturday from Fast Friday. So the guys were all um, working with a, a tailwind into turn one um, and then a headwind into the into turn three on the Friday. And then that that completely swapped for the, for the Saturday. So um, uh, I guess on Saturday, we saw McLaren being so strong that it, it kind of felt like there was a good chance that they were going to be in the fight for pole. But when it came down to it, you get the feeling that Ganassi's experience, whether it be of the conditions at the Speedway, how long they've been, you know, strong here, or even potentially maybe they were just saving a little bit in their locker for for the fast six. But um, when it came down to, to Sunday, I think it was when we got to the fast six, it was like, you know, Ganassi looked really, really strong. And I know Felix had put up a, a huge time in the, in the top 12 to get through and he was fastest. So there were still people thinking that McLaren, you know, were favourites for, for pole at that point. But I guess... You just have this, like I said, an air of inevitability about Ganassi. They're just going to be able to sort things out. They've got so many amazing people behind the scenes. And we're going to get to a stage in a few years where McLaren are like this and probably even better because of the 
resources that they have. The they can lean on the Formula One team. They've got you know people back in the MTC and in Woking uh, working with them. Uh, but I still think that Ganassi have got that uh, a similar level of resource, but it's more indie focused. So you've still got a lot of guys at McLaren who are learning about indie and the just you know what a one degree temperature change in the track temp or the ambient temp can can do to to a qualifying run here so yeah i definitely feel like it's ominous for the future how strong mclaren have been so quickly with again with um you know with the extra car here as well they've definitely used that to their advantage having that fourth car in the in the lineup this year um obviously normally they go from two to three cars don't they at the 500 this year they've gone from from three to four with with rossi coming on board so they've expanded again and again they've surprised us with how quickly they've um you know hit the ground running with all all four of their cars and i thought tony was pretty cool in the way that he kind of took one for the team in a way over the course of the last few days tried a lot of different stuff for the for the guys and kind of stayed out of the way when it came to the pole fight he said um that, that the other guys were in the fight for the championship and he wanted to give them a good you know a good chance to to go and get the pole i'm sure he would have loved to have the opportunity to do it himself if he had the opportunity it seems like a very a very tk thing to say but um i think he's definitely been playing the the team game over the past few days I guess we should um, mention Alex Pillow, obviously. Um, we have got Callum Eilert and we've got Jack Harvey from the press conference coming up later in the pod, so we'll definitely get to to those stories. Um, we've obviously spoken to Alex already. We've kind of flipped this and done this the wrong way around, so we already know what he said, which is uh, <laughs> which is a nice thing to do in the pod. We already know uh, what he's kind of talked about. Um, what kind of what kind of jumps out to me um, about Alex is just how relaxed he seems at the moment, and. You know, we were sat here in, in this in this uh, weird kind of pod at the back of the media centre where we're recording, and um, even for Alex, who's normally quite laid back anyway, he just seems so chilled out with this whole situation. And you know, whether it whether it be him not having that many polls in his career, or whether it be question marks over about his future next season and, and where he's going to end up, you get the feeling that he could be quite, um, you know, he could be more um, not flustered, but just more kind of like. Uh, or less laid back, let's say, um, because of all of those things surrounding him. But this week, this week, he's just seems so chilled and relaxed. It's been really visible to see, even just watching him walk around, chatting to people, and um, he just seems so so chilled out. I don't know if you got that vibe from him while we were while we were talking to him, but uh, yeah, what a what a four lap run to put together, and especially with that that two three five with the first lap, and then his last lap definitely tailed off quite significantly, but um, he obviously delivered it perfectly in the end. Yeah, I guess I think that uh, there is there is a, un, undoubtedly a sense of relief. I think that any of these guys feel just getting through qualifying week, regardless of where you end up or or whether you overachieved or not. But certainly in in his situation, and and that was also that run that he laid down is kind of like those are the runs when you when you do have when you did set it up that way and it is hyper aggressive like you're going for the huge first lap and you're just going to hang on to it you got to try to hang on through the run i mean comparing his run to that of renus he'll he'll talk about it i guess when you hear him <laughs> on the pod but the uh you know the difference between those two runs when you're when you're in renus's shoes when you kind of when you're going at it with knowing kind of maybe knowing that you have enough downforce or or after a couple of laps recognizing that you know this is going to be about extracting the absolute maximum out of every single corner every lap like you can be you got to be hyper precise you're almost not even reacting as much to the car as you are really trying to dictate what it's doing to get the most speed out of like that's how you get the most out of a consistent run whereas in alex's position 
it's much more reactive. It's much more kind of in the moment. You don't, you know, a lot less lap to lap about what the next couple of corners are going to be like because it's starting to deteriorate. And so I feel like when you when you really execute at a high level on those types of runs, I've been kind of fortunate to have a couple of those over the course of my career. Like when I was at ECR, we were we were always like over trimmed. You know, they they do that a lot less now. But um, and and kind of regardless of where you end up, when you complete those runs, there's as a driver, there's just a different kind of satisfaction to it. And so I think uh, I think for Alex having that all culminate in a pole position is just such a good feeling. Like you really feel like you did the thing that you're here to do as a race car driver and you got the full experience out of that. So I think he's, he's probably still riding a bit of a high from that, I would guess. And, and it just like, that's, it's hard to, it's hard to put it into words, but that feeling is, why this place is so great as a driver is because it's kind of one of the only places that you're ever going to be at that you have the time as a team and as a driver to really find that absolute limit. And then hopefully you have a chance during qualifying, during a qualifying run with your team to go out there and execute at that absolute like kind of maximum level, like go get everything that's there to go get. And so, um, you know, I think that I also think that for Alex in particular, it's like when he's at his best, he's like this. It's he's like it is. He's like he was while we were talking to him. You know, he's super relaxed. It's almost like, it's almost like that's him being in his zone. Like him, him kind of being his best competitive self is just this very low key, but but still extremely focused. Like he's not, he's not it's interesting that I don't know that I'd use the word relaxed necessarily. He's just, his, his level is quite low, you know? And so, um, it's, it's cool to, as far as just like being around athletes, like that's such a, it's, it's almost like a, um, uh, you know, sort of an admiration worthy, attitude and just vibe to have it i think it's 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 what will power saw in alex below that made him think he might need to think about doing something different prior to his qualifying or his uh, championship run last year so uh great to chat with him and, and always cool to see that's a nice tee up so without further ado we'll head over to our interview with alex below the 2023 indianapolis 500 pole winner All right, Alex Pillow here with us, uh, the pole man. Uh, welcome back to the pod. I have a quick question, which is the last time you were on the pod, we were talking about paella, and I said you should go to livery in Indianapolis. Have you been yet? No. Okay. No, I'm sorry about that. I haven't <laughs> been there. Um, but uh, actually, last week uh, here at the Speedway, I, I cooked a paella with my wife and my dad. It wasn't great, honestly, because we didn't have... <laughs> The tools that we needed. What are, what are what are the necessary like you know whether they're tools or ingredients like what are the things that absolutely every time will make a good paella? So the first tool is the how you call it the um, where you put the the like yeah the, the yeah, pan yeah, yeah. yeah but it has to be really wide uh, just so it's a thin layer yeah um, and we just couldn't because uh, we had to do it on the barbecue and it was 
really thick. Um, yeah, we couldn't really do it perfectly, but uh, yeah, the that's one of the most important stuff. And then the ingredients, but you can do it so many different ways: um, meat, vegetables, whatever. All right, all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll follow up with you. This, this we'll just make this a common <laughs> theme. Right. We'll follow yeah. up with you about paella every like time we it. get you on the pod. Um, has it sunk in yet of what it means to be on the pole for the Indianapolis 500? Yeah, honestly, uh, yesterday as soon as uh, we did it, I was I just felt it on on me. Um, I was so happy, man. I was so happy. Uh, it means a lot. I didn't know that it was gonna mean so much to me, honestly. I know how much this place means to everybody, how much history there is, how difficult it is. But um, I didn't expect to be so happy and so proud of the work that we did um, until I saw that we were on pole. So, um, yeah, super proud and super happy. I guess we've, over the years, since you've been in IndyCar, we spoke to many people who've worked with you and many people in your team. Uh, The one that always jumps out to me is Jim Hamilton who always speaks really highly of you. And I guess one of the things he always says is, you know, he's so impressed by how analytical you are, um, but not to the point of fault. So, um, you know, you don't ruin one sector of the track for another sector. Like it's all about the balance of the track, right? Being analytical about the whole the whole lap and stuff like that. So I guess, do you think, you know, you were really good when you came to the Speedway the first time as a, as a rookie and you've been strong here, you know, kind of ever since, but now you've kind of put that, um, that fall up qualifying run for pole together. Do you feel like, um, it's like one of your things is how analytical you are is paid off like at the speedway because of you know the your ability to go into the data like that and really see that yeah it's great to have Jim on my car uh, I love him I uh, after a race I'll be like hey Jim we need to have a look at whatever I don't know um, turn 789 here at the GP um, because we were missing some and then he would come up with this amazing report and he's <laughs> like okay Alex it's long and I'm like no no I love it um, but um, yeah I like to analyze stuff and, and obviously not get to the point of like being an engineer because I'm not an engineer I don't understand how actually engineering works but I like to analyze driving um, and focus on 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 improving myself. Um, but yeah, last year we were close in qualifying, finished second. But once we finished the run, I didn't feel like we left everything on the table. Um, I think we we kept something. Um, I didn't feel amazing uh, with the job that we did. I was super proud of starting second. Don't get me wrong. But um, this year I felt really confident with the car, and I wanted to go aggressive. Um, and try and get the pole. Um, so we just trimmed out as much as uh, the engineers told me that it was possible, and and we went for it. That's cool. And maybe you can just talk us through what that process was like because the conditions are changing. The track temp was actually quite high. It seemed like, particularly for the top 12 run yesterday, the winds were lower though. The ambient conditions were warmer, which is faster than on Saturday. Maybe you can just talk through like what that process is like from making your qualifying attempts on Saturday you know, then you lock into the top 12. Okay. Are, are you, do you feel, did you feel maybe specifically this year, like you were just homing in on it a little bit more every time to then go make the pole run? Like what, walk us through just that kind of process, making the different runs over Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. You know how much, uh, changes, uh, the ambient temperatures, uh, changes the car balance and how critical that is. Uh, for us, I think we were a bit lucky on Saturday that, uh, the condition 
conditions didn't change much during the day and we were the 28th car so normally that's like a no no um, but as the conditions weren't too bad we were able to be aggressive and post a good lap time um, we were not 100% sure about the car balance uh, for Sunday we went out on practice it felt really good we went out on the fast 12 um, and we were missing something uh, mm. we we didn't really have the speed we didn't really have the balance um, and we made a couple of adjustments from the experience we had and the comments also from honestly I'm really privileged to share the team with uh, three Indy 500 winners that helps a lot um, they <laughs> they say oh I tried this and that helped me you trust it 100% you don't need to try it yourself you just trust it so uh, the team communication was great to, to try and come up with a good car balance for fast six. I guess a, just a quick follow-on on that is having Scott in particular on the team. I mean, you mentioned all three of your teammates are Indy 500 winners. Dixon sort of stands out, particularly when it comes to qualifying here as the one that has, you know, I mean, he's obviously been at the front more often than not. He's a threat every year. What's that been like? I mean, are, are there any little things that you've you know, either either learn directly from Scott or or really pay attention to in terms of what he's doing, um, or or do you just kind of lean on your own instincts as it goes along? Like, what's that what's that been like for you? No, no, I, I lean a lot on my teammates and especially Scott, obviously, uh, since day one. Not only here but everywhere. Um, I trust him so much, and and I'm trying to learn as much as possible because he's he's like uh, a crazy racing book. Uh, of knowledge Um, but uh, yeah honestly I also trust myself we have different setup uh, changes um, because I like preferences yes so let's say the base car it's the same obviously between all all cars but everybody has different springs uh, different uh, downforce levels and and that it's between the driver and the engineer Um, but yeah I try to get as much from Scott as possible in terms of like driving how he approaches the corners you know people think that we just everybody drives the same line and that's it but there's so many different details that can make a difference on driving a loose car or a car that is really pushy or to keeping the tires underneath for four laps and the tools like there's so much movements uh with the tools to keep the car for the third and fourth lap so yeah all that kind of stuff i i try and uh learn as much as possible from him and also sato like come on he's he's been great at this place Mm, and mm -hmm. he he knows so much as well yeah, that's cool. Um, we know that you know every team. You, you mentioned it earlier. Every team takes a lot of pride in what they do here. Their prep, Ganassi, has been top of the heap the last few years. So we can only imagine that this is a big moment for the whole organization. I'm curious: are there any um, you know unsung heroes, like people that are kind of behind the scenes? Not not Chip, not Michael, not you, not your engineer. Um, you know, who are some folks that stand out or a group of f- people within the team just to give a little shout out to that that maybe don't get their due on TV on race day? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many people, honestly. We are such a huge team that it's not only Julian, my engineer, which nobody really talks about. And he's really quiet. He doesn't want people to talk about him. Um, and... And Brian, my performance engineer, Jim as well, my performance engineer. Um, but then we have a group of guys that they only focus on the Indy 500 and they only work on that. Uh, they've been in, in all the cars and they make 
us go fast here and and be on top of it so yeah there's a big group of guys working try and make us uh, really fast um, and it's it's what big teams are I guess you've won more races and you have poles in in IndyCar so um, I guess thinking about that maybe a little bit um, this is the biggest pole you can win in motorsports right so this is this is huge but does it mean something extra for you to show that you're able to to have that oval pole and to have that pole at the Indy 500 because maybe you've not had that many poles compared to your your wins so this is maybe means a little bit more even just to have this pole on and, and your first pop one on over I think Texas was you were on pole but that didn't count because it was a champion yeah that's championship, correct right, yeah so. which yeah it doesn't count you don't count it do you no that's I right. mean it's not, me it, that's not a pole that's no like, no you don't count it yourself so. that's not a pole that I earned it that was just because <laughs> it was rain out and we were leading the championship but that's um yeah honestly we only had a pole in Portland in 21 and we've been on the front row so many times but we are just like lacking a little bit um so it it meant a lot that it was my first pole on a novel and especially if it's indy 500 like it's not the same if you do it on at iowa or texas like those are great races but they are not the 500 so um it meant so much um i think we celebrated as well so much just because of not only how much it meant but because we knew we were lacking a little bit compared to last year and we didn't really think that we were capable of getting the pole if they did if the others did 100% of what they had they had a bit more speed than us and I think uh, we did not expect to be on pole uh, so that's uh, why we went aggressive and it worked and that's why we celebrated and meant so much I know you you obviously celebrated a lot and um, anyone who hasn't seen they can go online and see your celebrations in the in the pit lane and stuff like that that was really cool to see you have that emotion and um to see that being expressed that's um, that's really cool but I, I guess you probably you can tell us but you probably feel like this is only 50% of the job done I guess because although this is the biggest poll you can win in motorsports we know how difficult the Indy 500 is to win and we know coming into the month that's always your aim is to win the race so uh, I guess does it feel like a maybe like a weird situation that you do get other races where if you're on pole you still know you have to go and win the race afterwards but here there's just so much attention and you spend a whole week as the pole winner right and there's so much like stuff you do around it like this now doing the media and all that kind of stuff around around the pole so it's such a big deal but then you still know in the back of your mind you've still got to go and win the win the race on Sunday yeah I would say it's even less than 50% man (laughs) Um, but honestly at the same time it's huge because of it was the only win we could get uh, yesterday like that was the win that we could get it was not a race win but it was a win um so it meant a lot as you say it's the only pole i would say motorsport that you can show off during a week and be talking about uh about it on the media it's good for sponsors for the confidence the energy so i think it's great but i would say it's less than 50 percent on man this race is huge um there's a high chance that i won't be leading lab one so um yeah i mean i started second last year and i was leading lab one so i'm pretty <laughs> sure that i'm not gonna lead lab one so that's why it means a lot but at the same time on sunday it's not gonna mean that much so um yeah it's gonna be a long day 200 laps lots of things have to be right uh for it for us to be uh on chances to win the race I guess just to finally give you one more chance to relive it. I, t- I mean, talk us through. It, it's funny when you're when you're watching watching you know the the eventual pole winner standing down there when they're not the last one to run. That you really do, like you said, you 
you don't allow yourself really to even think that much about what it would feel like until it's actually happened. Like talk us through just how quickly that set of emotions changed while you're watching Felix make his run and then suddenly realize like it's it comes as a bit of a surprise. Yeah. yeah. It? Like when you actually you're like, absolutely. Oh, oh my God. I, yeah. Right. Especially because our run was really fast at the beginning, but it was really slow on the fourth lap because we had no more grips. So people would see the first lap of Rhinos and be like, oh, we're good. I was like, no, look, and look at how close it was. And then Felix, everybody on the second lap was like, we're good. And he he almost had it because of his fourth lap. So, um, yeah, I didn't allow myself. I was there with Ricky, my chief uh, mechanic, and with Barry, uh, my strategist. And we were there like, okay, this is good, but it's not done yet. Like, guys, we cannot be happy because... If, if Felix goes faster on the last lap, you're done and it, it could be really bad. Um, so, yeah, it comes by surprise, man. I didn't really expect it. As I said, it's the only pole that you leave like that, waiting for 15, 20 minutes. They're like, <laughs> okay, one more lap, please, one more lap. Don't go, don't go fast and please keep the temperatures up because it was getting colder and the temperatures were getting ideal for them. Um, but, uh, yeah, came by surprise and what a surprise. JR asked you about the unsung heroes of the, the poll. I just want to put it out there that it was probably me as well because I've picked the poll one of the last two years in a row and I picked you to it. Oh, to no way. This year, so That's pretty I'm, cool. I'm three, I'm three for three. Nice. And I feel That's like nice. I should get some sort of uh, props for that. So you Thank can, you for doing that. Yeah, no <laughs> you can send me your race gloves or something after the, after the race. Absolutely. I'll keep them on my little uh, trophy cabinet. <laughs> Alex, thanks so much for joining us on the Race IndyCar podcast. Um, we wish you the best. For Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. That was Alex Polo, ladies and gentlemen. Lovely again for second year in a row to have the pole sitter on the podcast just uh, a single day after it had happened. So uh, we're very happy for that access. Thank you to IndyCar for arranging that for us. You may have noticed that there is some sound in the background now. So if you want to give away as to when we actually record the podcast, you can hear some cars in the background. So you can probably guess that it's uh, Monday practice is going on in the background. So uh, I'm being a bad journalist and not paying attention to practice while we uh, record the pod JR. But uh, I, feel like it's, I feel like I can have a mulligan for getting through all of the stuff we need to get through. We should go to, to Bump Day now and talk about that. Uh, we had, obviously, the return of Bump Day after we didn't have it the, the year before, so that was exciting for people maybe tuning into the 500 for the first time or or having uh, maybe watched last year and not had the, the thrill of Bump Day. We had Christine Lungard and, and Stingray Rob from, from Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan and Dale Coyne, respectively, get their laps in early and uh, kind of put themselves in the show. It never really felt like they were in any real, real doubt. It was definitely It definitely felt like... Graham Rahal and Jack Harvey were the ones who uh, 
um, going to be the ones fighting out to to make it onto the grid. Uh, Graham was quickest initially, and then uh, Jack managed to do three more runs. So um, the first run was not good enough to to unseat Graham and. They uh, they made some spring changes and some aero changes, went back out and felt like they were much closer um, to being in the window. But the I guess the drama of that whole thing was the fact that we thought that he wasn't going to have enough time for another run because they would have to cool the the engine down. And in fact, they just came back into the pits, uh, made a little air pressure adjustment, and they just went for it again. So so that was pretty cool. I spoke to um, I spoke to David Salters about that earlier about how. Um, uh, I guess people from the outside maybe think that the the temperature of the engine is like an enforced thing, but they have a pretty wide window where they can um, they can run the car. So uh, he got out and did the last lap and, and bumped Graham out of the race. So I guess the the first topic I kind of wanted to to breach with you, and some people may have seen this already, is was was Graham's interview that he gave, you know, after the after the fact and it was it was literally like if it wasn't seconds then it was minutes after he'd been bumped out of the race and the microphones you know under his nose and i guess you know, you've talking you've spoken about uh, 2011 a lot um on the pod over over the past couple of years and i think many of the many of your fans uh, uh if they're not fans because of this they're then one of the things they like about you is how you you know kind of speak about that event and and you know how it affected your career and and all the things that happened afterwards that that you're kind of forced to talk about every time you come to the speedway you don't get to i mean you don't get a choice to to hide away from any of that but i think people the way they hear you talk about that um i think it's given you a lot of fans and graham seemed to get the same kind of reaction on um, on twitter afterwards how how difficult is that when you've just come out of a situation like that where it's a potentially career changing moment to happen to you and then you get a microphone shoved under you you know seconds after and you have to kind of you have to give a, a, a not not necessarily a press conference but an interview like that and and um, try and hold yourself together for it it must be really difficult yeah I think you you sort of have a choice to make which is uh, are you going to assume some degree of accountability and and recognize that this is there's there's sort of no reason at that point to play the blame game or or you don't basically and it can and it can go either way you see it in various situations i think i think more often than not when guys have gotten bumped out of the field they've i think for our benefit uh, as as fans you really just get to see the emotion that goes into it which i think is really what graham leaned into here like there's there is so much at stake and it's already not going well if you're in this position you're already kind of feeling the burden of the team your spot and graham's in a unique position from that perspective because he's so heavily ingrained in everything the team does i mean you you hear him often kind of shouting out the sponsors from the other cars when they're doing well you know he's he's very engaged in in kind of what ray hall lanigan lanigan letterman lanigan uh, racing is doing. And so I think that this was, you, we got to see a side of Graham Ray Hall, which I'm not sure everybody expected to see. Um, but not only will he, be, will he be better for it just because of the fact that everything you said, that this is ultimately the right way to sort of react in these situations. But He'll be better for it himself to have just responded in this way. It tells you something about Graham Rahal that 
you might not, especially with Graham, because he's been in the series for so long and he's been in the middle of these kind of chippy battles and he sometimes doesn't showcase maybe the, it's not respect, but sort of the degree of, um, you know, he, he, he has at, at various times throughout the course of his career, I think, been seen to come off as kind of arrogant and like he's not maybe not maybe has the it doesn't doesn't in those moments have the perspective of like the big picture kind of in mind um you know often more often than not with graham those are when he's battling for wins and and kind of doesn't have it go his way so it's it's fundamentally a different situation but he's a driver that i didn't even really know i i didn't i like i like graham he and i started out really not being friends like back in the day um we've become you know more friendly as time has kind of evolved and um you you start to realize that you're just as race car drivers you're much more alike than you are different over time um and so uh i i have i have learned to kind of enjoy that about graham ray hall but um you know i'm i'm glad just for the sake of indycar for the sake of Graham's fans for him his family for that team um you know I was I was impressed kind of to see him jump into the mode that he did and and I think at at the end of the day that just comes from what is really the core emotion that you're feeling as a group at that time which is we've tried so hard and we have laid everything out there and it just wasn't enough and that's that's down to a million different things not being quite right um that are some are in your control some are totally out of your control and so um i think bump day from that perspective just just zooming out a little bit it gives you something you know we think about bump day creating this drama it also gives you something very distinctly humanistic about what this sport means and you you get that on the extreme end with alex pillow and his just absolute elation and joy like kind of unadulterated joy what that can be like i I feel like you get that almost as much in that moment almost more than you do when you when you get somebody actually winning the race because you've had you have somebody winning the race they've had a lap and a half to like take it in that you don't really get to see um you know for pole it means so much and it happens so suddenly that you kind of transition into that into that emotion and it's a little bit the same way here um you know watching graham uh, as uncomfortable kind of as that can seem in some ways it's really what's great about sports is is to be able to get that deeper insight into not only what that particular person is about but just what it means to kind of everybody who's there participating in it. We're going to hear from Jack Harvey in a clip in a second, but a separate part of the press conference that I wanted to, uh, I guess, ask you a little bit about just based on what you were saying there was he, he'd said that he didn't like how the format had worked for the for the last chance there. And I guess there's two ways of looking at this. There's, there's fans who didn't like the idea that Jack was able to go out three times and, you know, bump Graham out the race. By the way, while we're on that topic, how cool was it to see Graham be allowed to go out uh, sorry Jack be allowed to go out and try to bump Graham I mean for anyone who you know obviously links Graham and his name to his you know his dad's team that he co-owns it would have been so easy for them in that situation just to say Jack you're not going back out or for them to leave him at two runs after he'd not bumped Graham and and uh, have it happen that way it was much I, I guess from a from a marketing 
standpoint and from the team standpoint, it probably would have been better for Graham to make the race if we're being really honest about it. And they still let Jack, you know, go and do it. So that was awesome. But Jack had said in the press conference, he didn't necessarily like the format so much. He didn't like the idea that he was able to go out three times and that nobody else was able to to answer to that. And I think that, that was a shared view on social media from, from some people. I, I guess I like the jeopardy of it where it was up to Jack in that last lap to make it happen. And if he didn't, then he was going home. You know, it's, I don't know. I don't necessarily know that anyone has suggested a different format that could work better than how that had worked. It's just a, it's just a part of bump day. That's just how it works, right? There's someone's going to have to have the last lap. There's, there's no like, there's no mulligan or do over for it. Like that's just how it is. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I guess the, the one riff on the format that I would like to see is just basically have it work like, like qualifying works on Saturday, like have a fast lane, have a slow lane. And you might still end up in that situation with the car that's 34th or the, or the cars that are in the show, maybe not being willing to withdraw their time to go back out. But mm -hmm. you know, so you, you might end up creating kind of the same type. If you think about a scenario where there's a lot more cars, like if there's 36, 38 cars or something like there have been at times, um, maybe something like that is an interesting kind of take on just recreate. Cause I, th I personally think the way that qualifying for Indy works on Saturday is perfect. Mm. Like I love the way that it builds drama. There is risk that you, you've got a way of going back out where there's not risk. And so you see guys kind of, you'll see, you'll see stars cars starting to line up and start to kind of test their fate a little bit, but without taking the risk of withdrawing a time. And then, suddenly you, you you get to kind of you get a little glimpse into the attitude of the teams by who starts saying screw it we're just pulling the time and we're going back out um because i think that it it makes me wonder how differently the team might have operated it adds complication for the team to say all right graham can just go back out to defend being in the field whenever he wants because it did seem like the conditions were improving as the as the runs went on the fact that jack was able to go back out and go faster despite the heat soak in the car and, and all of those things that kind of tells you all you need to know about the way the conditions were improving but so i so i would say that about it that it, i think we missed out on basically just more runs being made over the course of that hour when you've got that hour you'd like to see a little more action happening and and it made me wonder would grant would they have because some teams have a very explicit almost like a hard and fast rule that until we are on the outside looking in we're not making another round mm -hmm. um, whether that be top 12 you know teams that are on that bubble or further down further down the list um, you know trying to make sure on Saturday that they're inside the top 30 or, or whatever that is um, we didn't really get to know where these guys were at because you just have a scenario there where you, you sort of can't go back out until, until you're bumped. And, and obviously that I feel, I felt for Graham the whole time because you're sort of sitting there like just totally helpless basically is the car that's on the bubble. Um, and that, that felt a little unfair actually, even though you've got teammates and and you know you're, you probably have some degree of insight and say into what's going on, so yeah. if you imagine a scenario where those are not teammates, uh -huh. then you're really sitting there thinking, 
okay, I want to see the other car go out. Like, I want to have this be like a battle royale for the last 30 minutes of guys like trimming the thing out until somebody sticks it in the wall or whatever, whatever it ends up being. So, um, you know, that's definitely just just on that quickly. Um, very, very uh, small thing. But if you did have those lines, surely if Jack would have if he'd done three runs between those three runs, surely there would have been enough time for Graham to be put out on the track for at least one of one run and I know I know it's really quick turnaround between Jack's second and third lap but even the first and the second he had to make some changes to his car so surely there would have been time for him to run again there yeah, if he'd that, been in the other lane. I think that's what I'm. That's what I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah. Like there would have been time at some point for Graham to have just rolled into. I mean, even 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 if it was just you have to withdraw your time. Uh -huh. I, I think if if you put me in that position and I know that the conditions are getting better and I've been sitting there for half an hour, as soon as you have an inkling that Jack might go faster, you just go back out. You know, and not every team would like they might not have done that because not every team would do that because there have been cars that we've seen cars bump themselves out of the field by making that call. Yeah. Right. So it's not. But but that but not knowing what they would have done and not having the chance to kind of make that choice for themselves feels like a, we missed out on a little bit of added you know, kind of drama and insight into how these teams are operating. And that's, that's just as big a part kind of, of the whole qualifying procedure Saturday and Sunday is just the difference in how different teams, you know, Penske is always hyper aggressive. Like they will, they, they're the first team to say we're solidly in the field. We just want to be another three spots further up. We want a chance to get in the top 12. We're sticking both cars in the pull your time line you know forget it and and it it usually it has only worked for them like half the time yeah. like the other half the time they're batting like 50 percent on moving up versus ending up further back but i still think that's really cool to see like that as as a fan that kind of that like makes me a fan of penske racing uh -huh. you know when i'm sitting back and watching it whereas you know a lot of other teams are really the other way very conservative about we're not making another run of any kind yeah. unless we absolutely have to, you know? So um, I think that's, that's sort of just an interesting take on the whole thing. I feel like it's got to be an element of driver confidence to that as well. Like if you, if you're, if you're a team and you tell your driver, like we're pulling your time up, so technically you're out of the field right now when we pull this time because we want to go three positions higher. Like that's a lot of, you know, confidence to put in your driver. And we saw a little bit of that with Jack as well. Like he came in after the, the second run that he made and said, I don't think there's anything left in it. Like I don't, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but it was like, I don't think we can go any quicker than what we've done. And the team said, no, we're going out again. And, and the, I, I feel like that element of just that, you know, that, I mean, at that point you might argue for Ray Hall that they didn't really have a choice. They had to go again anyway. Like that was just part of, part of it. But I, I think there was a little bit of uncertainty there because if we were expecting them to co needing to call the engine, they weren't going to go out again, but they, you know, to, for them to say, you know, I guess, even if they have to put you out, there's still an element of belief there that you can improve. And I guess it's the same with the Penske guys. Like if they put their, you know, they're putting all their money on their guys delivering the lap, you can go and crash and you're out the field. You know, it's it's a big it's a big deal and it's a lot of uh, I guess a lot of uh, uh, a lot of trust to give to your driver to be able to go out and do that. Yeah, and I think it's it's just an attitude that you cultivate within the team also, which is it extends beyond that moment and whatever that outcome is and and however that works, like when you when you do that even if you don't if you, even if you don't eke out a little bit more speed or you lose a couple of spots i mean i, th I thought about this last year because um 
it, it happened with Rossi and McLaughlin last year that they both tried to go out before the rain came in the middle of the day on Saturday and they had already set times. The only way they were going to go back out was if they pulled, if they withdrew their time and went back out before, before rain came. Joseph was lucky in some respects that he, that the rain came like right after he rolled out or, or whatever, but they both went out, ended up losing positions because as the rain was coming, the air got really heavy and the wind picked up and the conditions were, even though the track temp was coming back down, like came to them, the conditions overall just weren't better. Um, and I, as, as another, as a driver, you're sitting there watching those guys do that. Like that's, that's what you want. Like you, I, I always, I always remember this story about Michael Cannon, uh, engineering AJ Allmendinger at, uh, Forsyth racing back in. So AJ switched from Rue sport to Forsyth in this kind of crazy musical chairs of drivers. Uh-huh. It was probably 2007, I yeah, guess. I think it was. I remember. Um, and they came out, they were at Portland, which I don't remember whether that, I don't, I don't think it was their first race together, but whatever it was, it was, it was kind of early in that process. AJ like fired the thing into the wall somewhere right before qualifying. And I remember hearing the story that Cannon basically just, you know, AJ was kind of a mess and you know, was really stressed about the whole situation and felt like he was letting the team down, was feeling the burden of pressure of kind of being handed this incredible opportunity to be in what was at that point, arguably the best car in the field after having everything kind of go sideways at his previous team and, and all of this stuff. Um, and Cannon just saying, we're going to re don't worry about it. We're going to rebuild the car. You're going to go out and stick it on the pole. Like, don't worry about it. And, and just having that, like, like sometimes you need somebody to break you out of your headspace in these mm-hmm. situations. And to have just, like, that absolute unwavering, almost to the degree, to the degree of being ridiculous confidence mm-hmm. in you, and to have somebody express that to you, either in words or action, um, is just, like such a great feeling as as an athlete of any kind but but certainly as a race car driver and so um i, I think for jack i i bet that was that feeling in those moments like okay yeah the pressure's on here to go do this but the team is not even making this a choice like they're just telling you like look we're doing everything we can you're gonna just go out and do your job we're gonna get this you know, effing thing back in the field. Right. And, uh, and so on both sides of this, what, what makes bump day great is that you, you get to kind of see some of these things transpire in moments of adversity when things are not going well, uh, that just, that just kind of don't happen basically, unless you have it. So, uh, it's, it's why I think it's important that we don't have some kind of stipulation that full-time cars just get a pass on this, that all this kind of stuff, because that's, the fact that you have Graham Rahal and Jack Harvey as the drivers in this scenario are what make this dramatic and, and interesting from that humanistic perspective. Absolutely. If you stick around long enough to listen to Callum I a lot towards the end of the pod, we hope you do. He talks a lot about how he felt like he had this unwavering belief that he was going to you know, put the car in the field when he when he had the, the car change and um, talks a little bit about that from a, maybe from a driver's perspective rather than a team's perspective, but worth listening to. Just before we move away from Ray Hall, there's a couple of other things to, to mention, I guess. One of them is, um, 
I guess the hardest part of that whole situation was that, that Ray Hall and Harvey are good friends and um, I'd asked Jack in the press conference if he'd spoken to Graham after his lap and what do you say to a teammate in that situation, especially one you know so well and I know Jack speaks to Graham for advice and they talk sort of about non-racing stuff as well, like they're, they're just good pals. So um, yeah, we'll head over to the press conference and, and listen to that answer. Hi Jack. Did you manage to speak to Graham afterwards? And if, if you did, like, what, what can you say in those scenarios really to try and console him? I know you're close in the team and it must be a really difficult, you know, situation to be in. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a, obviously you have a professional side and you have a personal side. And um, I think professionally, Graham's one of the most underrated drivers on the grid. I think he never really gets the respect he deserves. Uh, he's a fantastic team player. He's a great guy. The personal side, Graham's a very close friend of mine, a guy I text when I've got issues or I want his advice or I just want to pick his brain on something so you know not not fun you know essentially not only knocking out a, a team car but one of your mates at the same breath obviously we and him chatted about it we kind of felt like it would be me or him that gets knocked out and it, obviously everyone knows it's not personal but, you know he wants to be in the race I want to be in the race and you know the tradition of this place um, is the tr- tradition for a reason you know I mean it's it's fun days notorious and as soon as there's 34 cars I don't maybe these guys are confident but I don't think anyone's confident in me you know as soon as there's a, a car that you know is not going home so um it's a tough day mate you know I went I said to Graham you know I'm I'm, I'm sorry I'm not sorry like I, I mean what, what do you say to someone in that moment you know I, I want to be in the race you know I want to be in the 107th and Indy 500 I want to do it for, for me, for you know my my family, my friends. I want to do it for the mechanics on the team, for everybody on the team, for all of the sponsors that we have on the number thirty car, especially for people ready this weekend. Um, you know, I hate what it I hate what it means for the fifteen car for Graham and all his crew because at the end of the day we are one united effort. Um, you know, and we know there's a lot of work ahead, but you know, I just said to him, like, man, I just wanted to do the best four laps I I could. I'm sorry, it's bumped you out. Did you say you had spoke to him before the qualifying, like about the potential of yeah. one of you knocking each other out? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, uh, I think it was kind of clear, you know, that realistically, I think Catherine's been the fastest of our cars this month, uh, then followed by Christian. And honestly, I thought it was a little bit of a toss up between me and Graham. And, you know, we threw a Hail Mary last night, uh, you know, I think trying to look for the Holy Grail and, you know, didn't seem to find it today. We made some changes you know, taking some parts off of our primary car on the road course, putting it on the oval car, didn't work. Um, you know, huge mountain as a as a team that we're trying to trying to climb. But I think burying our heads in the sand and not acknowledging that, not admitting that, is the wrong thing to do. And what we have to show now is the same level of grit and determination that we show just to make the race is to now improve so that we aren't in this situation again. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. 
Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. So that was Jack Harvey, and yeah, I guess everyone can feel the the kind of weird situation he was in based on he probably wanted to celebrate getting into the into the field especially after the the terrible year that he's had the, the terrible couple of years he's had really um at Ray Hall or year and a half um but also feeling that you know just that that woeful feeling that he'd knocked his teammate out of the race and it was someone he respected and, and knew extremely well I'm sure it would have been difficult if he didn't you know knocked any driver out of the field and I'm sure you know Jack's one of the most liked uh, characters in the paddock I'm sure he would have been really upset to knock anyone out but to knock your teammate out um, especially as you were saying before about Graham you know he's always one to mention the sponsors of the other cars and talk about the other cars in his press com- in his uh, interviews when he's being asked about his own team he's talking about the other team so uh, he's definitely someone who's in tune with what's going on there and I guess it's um, uh, an interesting situation I just kind of wanted to approach it from a little bit of a different point of view of that these guys are doing a four lap qualifying run over 10 miles and the the difference between some of them is like six thousandths of a second and you know it's like 16 inches over over 10 laps and when you, when you really think about that it's it, we get really bogged down in the this team's doing well and this driver's doing well but when you actually think about that 16 inches over four laps it's like such a a crazy thing to think about but i think we are kind of i think we have to talk about ray hall a little bit because they, they were such a surprise coming in we know that they didn't have a great 500 last year but definitely we're expecting things to to improve this year i guess there's a lot going on behind the scenes there we had graham on the podcast in the in the off season talking about all the movement that was going on he also spoke earlier in the week um about his future potentially um you know willing to to look outside of ray hall letterman lanagan in the in the future for for his seat he didn't say he was definitely leaving um he didn't say he wanted to leave he just said he didn't like driving around in 20th every week that was his quote so um in my opinion not something i would say allowed ahead of the biggest race of the year to inspire my crew and my my guys to do the best possible job um but he he is also one of the best kind of race drivers in the field i guess when you look at his results and what he's able to do um so it's got to be frustrating for him to be you know feeling that um situation i i guess the the kind of big change there over the off season was stefano sordo coming in from 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 a formula one background and i guess the the elements of that are interesting from the outside at least is that Stefano is an aerodynamicist not necessarily someone who has experience of managing a whole you know team so it must have been really difficult for him to come in manage a whole IndyCar team immediately like that's the, that's your first job and and then your second job is one of the worst areas that Ray Hall have been in the past couple of years is on ovals and you've never seen an oval before in your life or engineered on one so him being the guy who's supposed to lead the technical direction of the team um, having never done an oval before you know, this year must have been a must have been something that's taken him a little while to to get up to speed. But I definitely think is you know the elements of the car build must come into this as well, and um, that that whole package. It's really weird that Graham was running exactly the same setup as Catherine and was two miles an hour slower pretty much every time he went onto the track. Um, you know, so there's there's so many little things that could be 
could be causing that but I just thought it was important to just do a little you know small deep dive into what Ray Hall had been up to and, and what's gone on there and a good turnaround from Dale Coyne as well to get um, David Malukas went up to 23rd from 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 being bumped out basically um, he'd been bumped out a couple of times by Christian Lungard on um, on the Saturday and then uh, managed to drive his way into to 23rd so that was pretty awesome and then Stingray Rob seemed to pick up in the on the Sunday as well I think they learned something from you know what helped David make that jump in the in the afternoon there um, anything more to add on Ray Hall no I think I, I guess I think that just generally a team that has that much they're they've you know they've moved their shop they've got this whole build out they're expanding they're the I, I don't I don't know how much sort of credence I put into the the fact that they've got the BMW LMDH program and but certainly that's a lot of work and a lot of you know, if if you are tight on staff or you're having to move people around, for any team that's taken on LMDH this past year, GTP and, and IMSA, that's been an enormous undertaking and has been way more expensive than expected. Whether you're a factory team or not, just like the fact that things are different than they anticipated them being, and the BMW program came together quite late. They were like the last cars, the last program to get cars on track. I mean, it's a lot going on um, in one off season. That if you're not, if you're not, if you don't have basically an oversupply of people and resources, then that can start to suck and and kind of drain your ability to do those extra things that aren't just you know showing up to the racetrack weekend to weekend, which we we now see from kind of you know hearing a little bit about. You know why are the Foyt cars so much better this year? Okay, well they've got Michael Cannon from it from Ganassi, but a big part of how you make cars better around this place are just investing in all the prep that goes on in like November, December, January in gearbox prep, upright prep, you know all of those types of things. And so when you talk about, you know, when I think when you when or maybe when you just look at Ray Hall and kind of what that organization is going through right now. you got to expect that they'll turn it around because they've done this before. They've gone through these kinds of ebbs and flows and then come back and won Indianapolis 500s and been, and had cars that are qualifying in the top, you know, couple of rows with Takuma and Graham for that matter, you know, over the last decade that's happened more than once. And so, uh, you know, I think that this is probably, they're probably doing a little bit of looking inward, just thinking, all right, you know, Bobby, Bobby has said it a couple of times, you know, we're okay the car hasn't changed that much over the last couple of years but we're still running the same lap time that we ran two years ago that lap time was fine as it was two years ago now it's not and so we need they need to catch up and uh, these are all racers bobby's a racer they'll they'll figure out how to write this ship i i think unquestionably but um you do look at the amount of things that they have going on the amount of change that's happened and to your point you know i've i've worked with uh, engineers from Europe, like in their first seasons over here in IndyCar, it's just a different ball of wax. Like mm. you can be every, every one of those situations, they're like among the smartest P pe- I would still rate them among the smartest people and the best engineers that I've ever worked with, but and the physics don't change. Yeah, there's a, there's, yeah, exactly. But <laughs> the, you know, familiarity with the way that an IndyCar works and what its sensitivities are and understanding the aero map and, and sometimes, knowing a lot about those things but not knowing about them in the context of 
an IndyCar on an oval track where the thing has got tilt and crab and all of this weird stuff built in that you would just never do with mm-hmm. a Formula One car or a, you know, LMP prototype or whatever. Um, you're just a little on the back foot in terms of, you know, where you're at. So, yeah, I think... I think they're they're just going through kind of a teething process with all of these changes that are happening internally at the organization, and um, you know, but but you got to think with Bobby at the helm, uh, he's he's sort of never ended up disappointing in terms of his ability to turn things around and get it on the right track. I guess just kind of going off of what you were saying a little bit there as well. The the thing with Stefano is that he's not necessarily just the person who needs to to understand how to set up a single car on an oval he needs to be the guy that makes the decision of if you've got two engineers who want to go in a slightly different direction and you're not really sure which one's which he's the one who needs to make the call you know in which direction you're going to go and that's almost an even more difficult decision is you've got two really experienced potentially IndyCar engineers who, who know how to race on ovals and have maybe different ideas about how you know which direction you should go in and then you've got to be the guy who's having never done ovals before got to be the guy who chooses which direction you go down so a difficult scenario and I, I guess another team that was struggling um, extensively at least with uh, one car was Hunkos Hollinger Racing so we're going to cross over now and hear about the impossible task that Callum Eilat managed to complete over the course of IndyCar qualifying all right, so we're here at the media center with Callum Eilot in our little weird soundproofed bubble pod at the back of the room. <laughs> Always feels a bit weird kind of dragging drivers off into this little uh, secluded weird box at the back of the media center. But hello, Callum. Thanks for joining us on the Race IndyCar podcast again. I guess um, it's been a, yeah, you've already said it on Twitter. It's been a pretty wild week. Um, so anyone who didn't see your tweet, you said... Uh, so we pretty much did what others had four days of testing to set up in just 12 laps today. I knew deep down we could do it. I kept my foot down to the floor. It's hard to explain how rewarding a result like this af- is after the last yeah, week. Yeah, I forgot the ears. I was, I was <laughs> so too emotional. I think, it's, I think that was me reading out. Um, just a big thank you to all involved. So just to recap very quickly, obviously you um, you unloaded with a similar problems you had in the open test. Um, eventually made the decision to change the chassis on Friday afternoon and then had yeah as you said 12 laps to prepare for qualifying at the Indy 500 and also your first uh, bump day experience because that wasn't uh, that wasn't the thing last year so yeah i guess tell us about a, a little bit more in in kind of detail about that kind of emotional journey you've had to go through to to get to the race and what it felt like when you actually realized that moment where you realized you were in the race yeah i mean like from from the beginning which was the open tests i i i was having these problems with the car and it was it was actually pretty evident at that time that there was an issue with the car because it was really amplified by the wind and you know I was the only one that couldn't keep the car in a straight line, um, let alone the problems I was having into the corners. Uh, but we we went through a lot of things and a, a lot of things that we were going to change and um, the chassis was kind of on the last of the list because it was brand new, it was stiff, it was everything looked fine about it and you know in hindsight it it wasn't but that's not what you expect from from that sort of stuff so uh, going into this week I was I was very relaxed now after doing a year of uh, already had a year of the 500 I knew exactly kind of how the timings work how the process is on and off track and you're able to just approach so much more relaxed. I got in the car on Wednesday and I'm like, oh, it's still, there's still this problem. I don't understand it. And obviously it was, it's nowhere near as windy, so it wasn't amplifying it as much. But 
you know, with a normal car, they say as soon as it's something doesn't feel right, you box. And that was kind of like every run was just, yeah, there's just something not right, something not right. Uh, and it, it wasn't it wasn't something as, as just small as well of going like, oh, yeah, I am. Um, it, it, I just I just don't feel secure on the rear. It was that it was kind of coming up or down, and I wasn't able to consistently hit apexes and that. And you know, um, kind of as you do when you don't really have much of a choice, you work with what you've got. And I managed to make the car something that you could drive, um, and I kind of got reasonably happy to that point that I could now do uh, I think by 5pm I could do laps consistently flat out which okay given the whole day and what's normally meant to happen at Indy is you're meant to do probably one lap and then you end up being flat but it took me until about 5pm to do it flat uh, but then I, I kind of got in into into rhythm with it but then you look at the times and you're two miles an hour off the next quickest car with no toe and all of this and just wasn't good um and I think at the end of Wednesday, end of Thursday, uh, even after trying, I'm just like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I need to change the car. Um, and in a bit of like desperation in that sense, but also the reasons as to why we didn't and kept trying was 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 valid and fair. And, you know, I agreed to it's it's a it's a group decision and and that and a lot of stress on, on the people. Um and I think it got to a point Friday morning I went out and I was like, I just, I can't do it. You can't, you can't keep convincing me to go back out there because it's just so, so wrong. Um, and you know, that, that, uh, obviously doesn't, doesn't go down too well, but at the same time, you know, you haven't really got a choice and, um, in pit lane, me and Ricardo had quite a big discussion, but something where it was just like well you know we we either need to to change the car or we're either not going to make the race or we're just going to have to withdraw because it's it's not it's kind of not safe to to be having something that you can't hit an apex in um and then yeah at that point it was a bit it's like 30 or 40 minutes where kind of the within the team we were going back on back and forth on it but it was no we 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 need to change it and um at that point yeah the 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 job was on and it took a lot quicker than we thought to change the car which was a great thing because the way i was i was told and this is why it was almost going to be a pretty impossible task was that uh yeah you're not going to make it out really until maybe the end of a saturday the end of qualifying or straight into the last chance and i'm like you know, if that's what I have to do, I have to do it, but it's not ideal at all. And actually, it wasn't the case. We we just got on with it, and it was fine. Um, but yeah, I did I did the two practice runs, and the car was good. The car was in the window. I uh, just needed a bit of fine tuning, which I couldn't do in the in the session. Brought it back, and we changed a couple of things. And turns out that car was a lot more sensitive to to what we changed, and instead of affecting it, um, kind of should we say like a quarter of what we wanted it went to a full 100% of not what we wanted basically and uh, I went into the first round just understeer like crazy and at that point I was I was upset because I'm like oh damn you know the car was good the car was good this morning what, what did we do and I had to do all this TV stuff and um, 
I'm like, oh, I just need to, I just need to get one and see it. Like, you know, can we get all this stuff over with? Um, and I'm working my way down the line of TV and reporters, and I'm like, hey, what was my first lap? It was like a two thirty, and I had a massive lift out of one because I was just sailing to the wall. Um, and then I started to remember that actually, you know, I almost crashed every lap on that that run. Just stupid. Um, and uh, yeah, then when I went back, I just walked straight in the garage. I was like, we need to make the thing turn. Just make it turn. And again, the car was very sensitive and we overdid it. Um, and first two laps were great. Put two 232s on the board and then started to get a little bit loose. Um, sailed to the wall in one. I think I had about an inch maybe to the wall. Uh, not not ideal and then <laughs> the last lap I came around the last corner and um, was was pretty much drifting that car and yeah the you know at that point I know that I'd I'd got into the top 30 at that time um, and you know you're you're safe for now I knew it was a pretty good run uh, you don't know how safe you're going to be because people can always improve especially as the temperatures lower into the into the evening um, but yeah it was it was quite emotional at that point for me because just all the stress and effort of trying to you know fully convince people that there's a problem people just doubting you because you crashed here last year and that that's that's the issue and you know i i know what i feel at the end of the day i'm a professional racing driver here we're driving at 230 miles an hour you need to we needed to kind of believe me and in some ways i wish it was done earlier but i understand the complete reasons and you know we were in the situation together um, and there were reasons as to why we didn't change it and I agreed with those reasons at the time and you know everyone everyone from once it was decided to change I just I just got super confident and super competitive just to just to do it and the the team followed me and did the same when you look at the the last chance and see four cars from Ray Hall um, you know they won the race three years ago and you know haven't qualified that badly in in 2020 and 2021 obviously last year they did struggle a bit and then you look at coin who you know always have good race cars at the 500 what, whatever happens um you, you know you see ray hall shop and how much money they've invested their, in their team and, and all this kind of stuff and i know you guys have, have had good resources over the past couple of years but i don't think you're in you're definitely not in that same path of progression that they yeah, are we're in the lower half exactly sure. and to see what you were able to achieve in that sense, see, seeing those guys in the last chance and seeing, you know, the lap that you were able to put together. I mean, where does this kind of, where does it feel like it ranks in terms of your career performances? Is it, is it right up there with one of the best, you know, feelings and performances you you think you've put together based on everything that you had to go through in, in the week leading up to it? Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's two things to that. One, firstly, I, I mean, look, the getting into the top 30, you had to push a 231 plus, right? That's probably the quickest year of India I've ever seen for 30 cars. Um, and, you know, looking at last year compared to this year, the Rahul cars improved two to three mile an hour. Of course, you have the quicker cars in the team, the slower cars in the team, and it's just, you know, you kind of get what you get. That's that's just the way Indy works. You know, I came in here with a bad, bad chassis, and I knew I wasn't making the race with that car. And I, you know, I'd said it out loud multiple times, we're not making the race. And, you know, whether it's a lack of confidence or realism, you, you know the position you're in. And they they improved. Uh, so it was what I'm saying is it's just a super competitive year, super competitive year where, you know, if you're not on your A game, you get you get pushed out. 
Um, so I feel, I feel super bad for them because, you know, they work, everyone works stupid hard for this and it's not something that's, no one can explain it. I mean, even the top teams, they, they have, they see things, or they are... Pen- Penske's, look at how they've been over yeah, the past few years. Exactly, they're one of the best teams in the paddock. You know, they have all the data, all the tools in the world and there are still teams that unexplainably can be better and all of that. Um, so it's just it's just indie. It's just that's why it's tough. That's why it's special. Um, and then going back to me, yeah, that's. I mean, in terms of personally, what I feel like I've either put on myself or in a in a challenge that I've had. Um, yeah, it's been it's been super uh, tough. I'm in a certain way. I don't say it out loud too much, but I'm proud of myself for sticking in there because you know, like like anything, whether whether you recognise it or not, come into a place that you know you broke some bones or one or one or two bones that last year. Yeah, um, at, at 230 mile an hour, that that's firstly a bit of mental toughness, and you know whether I care or not when I arrive here, there's probably always something in the back of your mind going there. You know, maybe you should just stay calm a little bit. Um, and then there's there's continuously working and driving with something that you know is fundamentally wrong, and other people maybe don't believe you that it's fundamentally wrong, and that's tough to tough to stay in it. Um, and then there, you know, the people. Uh, I, I think most people thought I was absolutely mental when I said I'm going to make it. You know, like. Saturday night, I said. Uh, Friday night, I said, "I'm going to make it. I'm going to do it." And like, not not a doubt in my eyes. Of course, after the first run, I was uh, full of 15 minutes. I was like, "Oh yeah, we're in, <laughs> we're in a bit of trouble here." But um, I, I still knew we could we could put it together. And there's yeah, there's also lots of little things that add into all of this. All the all the little conversations you have, all the all the you know whining and complaining, and it makes it worth it, kind of thing. And you know whether it's a I told you so or it's a get on with it. Yeah, I'm super proud of it. It's 28th, so it's not exactly something to shout about from the rooftops. But internally, you know, you I went from being guaranteed to not make the race to then be given an impossible task. You know, and in reality, in I mean, I need to thank him at the same time, but um, my teammate only qualified 0.1 of a mile an hour ahead of me. And I had 12 laps to to put, you know, these cars, again, are so sensitive to put something that you just don't know what you're going to get when you go out into into a similar window. Um, and of course, yeah, we we, uh, we we followed him a bit on the setup. I mean, actually, to be fair, it's it's not too far off of, of where we were last year. So it was a, a car. I, you know, that's why I knew the car was wrong was because I knew what it was like last year. And you can see it on the video. So, yeah, anyway, I'm 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 proud of myself. I'm proud of the people who stuck around me, who, who pushed for me. And, you know, it's it's a cool story. It's crazy when. I think at one point at qualifying I looked down the order and the top like 30 odd was separated by seven tenths over four laps and 10 miles so I think when maybe when people who don't know Indy that well you know start to pay attention to, to Indy and look at qualifying and you see um, you know maybe on a road course you see someone missing out on graduating to the fast six by a thousandth or a tenth then it seems that seems really close but I don't think people necessarily always look at the times with Indy because of the miles per hour element of the leaderboards and stuff but when you actually look at the times to see that you know, there, there were thousands between 
different positions. First and second. Exactly. And 33rd and 34th. Yeah. You've got six thousands at the top, seven thousandths of a mile an hour at the bottom. That's insane. Yeah. And that's what you're playing with to try and make the race when you've had 12 laps and these guys have had 12 hours of track time. So I guess just trying to put that into perspective a little bit about yeah, the achievement. Yeah. And, and whilst you're going into turn one at 241 <laughs> mile an hour, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's just crazy. Like you kind of have to put that to the back of your mind, but like the same way I, you know, it's been a long time since I, I've, I've cried. Right. And I did it on the in lap because, you know, number one, the stress of the, uh, yeah, it's like a release, right? Yeah. All, All of it just kind of I've never done that before in yeah. my life. Like, you know, the 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 week leading up to it to that, the the runs themselves, I mean, the people coming up to me after the first run going, mate, that looks sketchy as hell. <laughs> and I'm like, I to be honest, I don't even know. I just I, I need need to get back on with it. And then the second run, like those last two laps were so loose, the loosest car I've driven on a racetrack. And I just, I just kept my foot in, just trying to, trying, trying to finish it. And you know, you can't. I, I was opposite lockout the last corner, not, not all the way, but I was, I was good, forty-five degrees, I'd say, with the, with the steering wheel. That's not what you do in. That's <laughs> not how it works. That's scary stuff. Yeah. So yeah, whether it was, it was fear, on track, fear of missing out. Um, you know, just, just all the stress release, and you know, kind of doing what no one thought I would do. Um, and again, it's that thing of like fully believing in someone, whether it was before or that I would do it on that day. I don't think anyone did. And, you know, it's 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 cool because I'm the only one sat there going, you know what? Like, if anyone can do it, it's me. Tough. You know, if you don't believe me, just watch. Well, it was, I know it was, it kind of went maybe a little bit under the radar as it it may have been a bigger story if we didn't have bump day and pole day happening as well at the same time. But yeah, um, I still think people saw you know what you're able to do and, and paid attention and um it was great to see from the outside so um, we know you've got to head off and do some practice now so best of luck with the got a couple of hours yeah yeah best of luck with the race car and uh yeah we we hope you've got enough time now to get the car in the window and uh give it a good go on race day yeah we'll see i mean it's 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 always a surprise with the race car like you never know what you can get you can it could either be straight in the window or it can be very far out of it um it's it's very tough to get something that works in traffic and then it's again even tougher to get something that works in warm temperatures and traffic so you know you've got to pre-predict it and um just get on with it uh so yeah i'll have a tough job today what i've got two hours to do it today and then another two on friday yeah they don't you know you run out of time very quickly <laughs> in indy um but yeah again like like on like on saturday if someone can do it i can do it look i don't think we're we're going to be winning the race but you know if we can if we can edge into that top 10 from starting 28th let's see what we can do all right so that was callum giving you all a lowdown as to what happened i think it's um I think just listening to that is a bit of an emotional roller coaster, and I've got to say, even Callum's voice just sounded a bit kind of, um, I don't know, a bit soft. You know, it just seems like uh, the last week's taken so much out of him, just from a emotional, physical, and just everything perspective. He just seemed like a a bit of a shell. I'm sure he'll be back to, um, I'm sure he'll be back to back on full form in Callum Eilat style by uh, the time of the race. But uh, those guys definitely had some some trouble and Callum was definitely the guy in, in the middle of that, um, b being the one 
I guess just to hammer home what he was saying, you know, he's he's saying that the car's not performing on track and that it's doing some weird things, but the data's not necessarily showing that, or they can't find, you know, what Callum what what is causing the feeling that Callum has, um, you know, in the data. So it's difficult, you know, Callum's calling for the car to be changed, and the team can't see anything in the data, so they don't want to change the car. They've been working on it for a year; they want it to be perfect. So it's a very difficult scenario. Jr. Just quickly, I just wanted to round up, I guess, some of the other. Uh, storylines we didn't talk about you mentioned Foyt briefly with Michael Cannon coming in I think you summed that up well they've done um, a, a good job around there and I don't want to do Santino a disservice by not really talking about him that much but I think he's always been good here right um, the, the qualifying element maybe you could you could talk a bit about a bit more he was his best start was 15th before uh, before his fourth place that he'll start from for, for this 500 and I'm sure there's a few drivers taking him more seriously as a as a prospect knowing that he's never finished outside of the top 10 at the 500 and now he's starting you know he's done that from a best start of 15th um, usually a lot worse and now he's going to be starting from fourth so I'm sure people will be taking him seriously good story with um, with Foyt I guess um, we kind of talked about uh, Cannon coming in I'm sure he's not the only one that uh, deserves the you know the props for for helping them to to get to a position where they are but um i guess that always feels like a team that has the potential to do something like this where it can make a big step forward and it's it's a team full of racers as as you i'm sure you'll tell us in a second and um it just maybe is just one of those teams that because of the resources being low and um with indycar having so many cars now it's so difficult to get personnel in and, and to get the right mixture of personnel into the team that Sometimes it just does, does just take a three or four people to come in and really completely change how a, an outfit goes about things. I'm sure that's similar to what's happened there. Yeah, I think it's it depends on who those people are that you bring in. It's it's one thing to bring people in that bring some knowledge from another place. Michael Cannon is somebody who you know we we kind of talk, have talked about him in recent contexts because he's been Scott Dixon's engineer at Ganassi. But more often than not, throughout his career, Mike has been a guy that does what he's doing at Foyt, basically, like come into an organization that needs a lot of direction, just generally as an organization, to be able to improve and to be able to make that significant step. And so I think that these kinds of scenarios are actually where where Mike thrives is when he kind of has a bit of like carte blanche of making, you know, has the ear of a team owner and somebody who's willing to make some changes based, you know, based on a budget or whatever. It's not like Foyt is suddenly spending, they're still, they're as kind of strapped for cash as they've, as they've been. It's so it's not like they've had this influx of 10 million extra bucks to go do a bunch of work. But, you know, I think uh, my guess is they sat down over this off season and said, Mike took a look around and saw how everything is going and what's been how they've been doing at the speedway and kind of what's what that prep has looked like and what the body fits look like and how they're doing their uprights and gearboxes and and all of these things that make a difference and send, and kind of says all right look you know because I love Larry Foyt too like he's one of the most genuinely good guys in the paddock just probably sat there and said, and I don't know this from talking to them, but probably sat there and said, look, like if we're going to be really good at Indy, which is obviously the race that matters the most for, for every team, but particularly this team, yeah. like we can, we can elevate the performance of this program weekend to weekend because I know what's been fast just set up wise at all of these road courses. So 
that's kind of what matters from an execution and optimization perspective the most when you show up at Long Beach. It's a, it like doesn't matter what your gearbox prep is like at, at Long Beach Grand Prix. Um, it matters what springs you have in the car. What, what are your damp? What, who, where are you getting your dampers from? Who's building them? Do we understand what's going on there? Whatever. For the speedway, it's all of this other stuff, and so you know, Mike came in. I think knowing what that, what knowing what some of those things were, how to do them. Larry, even being tight on sponsorship, made the investment to go do those things, and um, and I think it's it's an interesting just case study in when you look at a Ray Hall or you look at some of these other teams, like or even an Andretti for that matter, like. My what I always said when I was at Foyt, our, my post-event debriefs from Indy the last couple of years are basically like, "Look, guys, we actually we did an awesome job for what we're doing. Like, how we we split Penske cars in qualifying. We you know did all of these things. But if those ECR cars with Chevy engines can run in the top twelve, then we can run in the top twelve. Like, then there's there's kind of there's no excuse except funding and you know, resources that are keeping us from doing what those guys can do. So if they're up there, if Ed's qualifying on the front row, like that means it can be done basically. And so I think having, and that's not at all to say that like I was, I had any impact, like me saying that had any impact on mm-hmm. what these guys have done in the off season, but it's just the truth of the matter basically. Yeah. And so, and it's, and I think unf- it's, it's one way or the other, how every team should look at their prep for the 500, which is if we're not as good as the best team that's working, that's our manufacturer, then there's more that we can do in the off season to be that good. Cause that's, you know, like conditions dependent, you need to have the right setup on the car. You need to have all of that stuff, but just pure speed, it's all prep. And like, you know, the first day of practice, whether the car just goes fast in a straight line down the straightaway, you know, like it's, it's, there is a degree of it that is as simple as that. And so, um, you know, Foyt's gone and, and done those things as, as they should. And I think, um, it's not all Canon just bringing like, a Ganassi setup, but I think it's someone like him who is willing to have like a voice of authority basically in those situations to come in and say, here's what you need to do. Do it now. I guess we can talk about the, the deficits and as we were talking about earlier, the kind of four lap 10 miles, there only being a thousandth of a second between people. But for those reasons that you've just described, I think also you do have to, this is why I've struggled a little bit to kind of, get my head around how to interpret some of these situations like Ray Hall and, and Coyne and, and also Foyt and uh, like April Motorsports, which is one I wanted to go on to, to next because I, I, I don't want to, you know, give Ray Hall a load of stick because they've missed out on the race by such a small margin that it, it seems unfair to, to give them stick for it. But when you consider how much money they're putting into their new shop, how, many, how, how much more, res- even if their resources aren't perfect and their team isn't, you know, um, their team isn't structured as it probably should be it still should be capable of doing better than some of the teams that have qualified miles ahead of it so it's really it's a difficult interpretation of like how hard do you go on some of these guys or how much pre- credit do you give some of these guys for what for what they're doing but i don't think you can give Foyt enough credit from for, for for what they've achieved in the space of of 12 months and i think able motorsports is another one that maybe people haven't necessarily got their head around or or paid much attention to but you know that that program's been announced for what two months now and uh, i mean the one thing that they've done really well is that pretty much everyone on that 
on that team has done indie before or has a lot of experience at, at indie. They've got John Brunner and some other, you know, some cool guys who know their way around the speedway, and that's great. Um, but for them to turn up and just do one qualifying run and put it in the show is just, I mean, you'll be able to talk about this much better than I can. But um, when you look at Ray Hall and Coin, I mean, Ray Hall won the race three years ago, and Coin constantly say that their car is good enough to win the race and that they should have won the race with Ed Jones a few years back and, and stuff like this and then you get an able turn up with two months of, of running you know we're told these cars get worked on for uh, for 12 months and that you know you can't do certain things in the in qualifying or the race unless you've been doing that and yet we have a team like this pop up and and show what can be done if you do things properly yeah I think you I mean you hit it on the head which is basically just in a, in a very general sense and i think this is one of the differences between call it abel and ray hall right now is that experience at indy matters a lot mm -hmm. in terms of the people and and it's not to say obviously ray hall letterman lanigan has a ton of experience at indy within the team i mean alan mcdonald eddie jones like the, you know these guys are these are guys that have put cars on poles here before like mm -hmm. this is not it's not a joke in terms of how much experience they have but it still comes down to like how are you how are you utilizing your resources who has decision making power and so and and who is ultimately making those calls in terms of what you're doing what you're spending your time on what you think matters all of those things and so you know i think the the able guys I mean both of the engineers there are guys that I've worked with over the last five years. So um, Mike Colliver was at Foyt through last year. I'd forgotten you worked with him and he was one of the guys who's doing a good job there. Yeah, and Eric Peterson, who's, yeah. who's uh, you know, they're sort of just working like hand-to-hand. -hand. I, don't, I don't know that one of them necessarily is even like lead engineer or not. Yeah. Um, but I worked with Eric at, at Dreyer and, you know, I mean, Eric was the engineer that I worked with at Dreyer when we were in kind of like that same situation that we had gone out you know, we had a, a, a super late qualifying, like we were the 32nd car to go out, awful heat, terrible first run, had to get ourselves out of the bump zone and, and had kind of a David Malukas-like run, like just, you know, fired one off and ended up on the, you know, whatever, like the fourth or fifth row or something when it was all, when it was all said and done. Um, and, and I think it just go. It, it, I, I I even I even liken this back to we used to talk about this at Ed Carpenter Racing. Like, it's not black magic that makes the cars fast. Like, it's not some crazy stuff that only we know how to do. You know, we would we we had when Joseph left. You know, in 2017, I was full time that year. Joseph had moved on to Penske that same season. You know, we would bump into him, and and, and it was the Aero Kit cars, and so you you like got all these, especially with the Chevys at the time. You had all these like crazy configurations of mm -hmm. bodywork and all this stuff. And Joseph was like, Penske guys have they're looking at they they were looking at our cars, the configurations that we were running, and just like baffled that we were running the time, <laughs> the speeds that we were running, and and Ed and I were sitting there like. We are literally just going down the Pratt Miller trim list sheet that they print out and send to all the teams in terms of like where we're at downforce level wise and like the rake that we've got the car at and all of this stuff. And that's oversimplifying a little bit, but I think it just goes to show like if you do the simple things well and you prioritize those simple doing those simple things well. You can at least show up here and not have massive blind spots in terms of what you're what you're putting on track and how you ex what you can expect to happen. Um, you know, as as soon as you get into these situations where you 
feel so strongly about something that you're doing and then don't have the actual on-track performance kind of match against that, you're just totally out to lunch. Like at that point, nothing makes any sense. And so I think the able, the able motorsports team is filled with guys that just have like a hair on the back of their neck kind of feel for what works around this place and what you kind of have to know how to do. They've taken advantage of a lot of relationships within the paddock. So they've, they've got good uprights. They've got a good gearbox. They've got that stuff prepped from within other teams that, that know what they're doing. Right. Um, but I think it's a really cool story that, 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 and it's, it's a good, just little kind of microcosm of how Indy still works. You know, this is still a, like, yes, to go stick the car on pole, you got to do a lot of development. You got to, you got to be super committed at a super high level to doing all of these things, you know, extraordinarily well, but just having a good feel for the place and understanding what the how the event works and what it's all about can still get you a long way which is awesome it feels very old school it feels like how the how the speedway should be that you can show up with just a group of like i mean i'm sure there's like more than seven or eight guys but that's what it feels like there's like yeah. seven or eight of them there. i'm sure those guys are just as proud as almost anybody yeah like they're walking around so with, they their, with their chests puffed out because they just like threw down once and didn't have thing. to even, even think about it again it was it was it was wild and fair play to rc anderson as well i know um there'll, there'll be people who maybe listen to the pod who don't know him very well or don't know him, you know what he's been what he's been up to he's uh he's a lead instructor at the lucas oil race school isn't he and um yeah uh was was strong in, on ovals in in indy lights and he whatever you say about his experience or what he's achieved in the past he went down and laid that lap out there so yeah no doubt fair play to him all right so that kind of concludes qualifying i guess um jr there'll be a few people who saw you were at the at the speedway so the the pod feels like a good opportunity to ask uh, what you were doing here i guess and uh, obviously people know you didn't have a ride for this year so um did you um did you have a reason for getting down here i guess i don't i, I don't i don't know that i should go into any of this in any like really specific detail but but yeah i uh, i got i got more than one call over the last couple of weeks about um potentially being being in a race car in in sort of some different capacities um you know, one, one, one was, uh, probably to be in a pretty good car, uh, that was about 10 minutes away on a uh, 10 minutes away from, from happening on, on Monday prior to practice. Um, so I, the deadline for knowing what was going to happen was actually so late that I had to pack for two weeks as if I was going to be here for, for the month and fly out and be ready to go to get a seat fit on Tuesday morning after I was done with my physical. Um, so the fact that it was, rainy on tuesday was kind of like a welcome uh, a welcome relief from a from a time crunch perspective but <laughs> but uh alas uh didn't end up happening so um you know i gotta say and 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 there's been some other scenarios where uh some teams have inquired about kind of just sticking me in a car basically just to see like all right you know how, where where are we really at here yeah. um you know which i i take as a I, I'm flattered by just to be the guy that gets the call for those kinds of situations. Um, it, it also has been a reminder of those things not happening has been probably a valuable reminder for me in how fickle this place really is in terms of what it takes to put deals together. And while it's nice to be, while it's nice to feel that, you know, feel the love from that perspective <laughs> and, 
and to hear from you know organizations that you would really want to drive for. I mean, I've never had I, I, we've I've been in very good cars around the speedway before, um, you know, but but kind of racing for a for a Penske Ganassi Andretti like big multi car team throughout my career has kind of eluded me. So that's that's an experience that I would like to have at some point, basically just to kind of see know what that's really like. Um, that um, you know to hear from those kinds of teams. You know that they think that you know the feeling in the building is that you get in one of their cars and go win the races. It makes you feel good about it, but um, you know it's also with a lot of the constraints that exist these days. There's just I mean I was I was thinking about it last night talking to my wife like, you know, what what are those 33 entries next year and and how do I fit into that picture and and what do, what do I need to be doing to to get myself back on the grid? Because I got to tell you, man, like being here on Tuesday. I knew at that point already. I got my physical in the morning, got got checked off, got cleared to be in the car. At that point, I already knew that what I had been out here for in the first place like wasn't going to happen. Uh-huh. Um, and it, nobody ended up running that day, but cars got rolled out to the pit lane as if they were going to go, and then it rained like. As I think it, they got rolled out a few times actually. As it always does, it rained like the second <laughs> that the green flag was about to fly. Right. Yeah. Um, that uh, I was walking through the paddock and it was, the, it was I guess, just kind of the first time I'd sort of prepared myself for being out here, like, during the... And I'm, obviously, I'm at the track plenty over the course of the year or whatever for various stuff, whether there's cars on track or not. But, um, and that doesn't, you know, it doesn't ever, no. you know, bother you. But, um, you know, being here kind of in that moment of like oh cars are like about to go out like this is the start of practice for the indianapolis 500 and i'm not out there it's the first time in 12 12 Uh, years that you're not going to be it was just like i was just like i gotta leave like i just can't yeah i can't be here to watch this basically you know and and not be and that i you know that feeling i'm sure would have washed over me and washed away like you know if i had stuck around but um yeah it's 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 always interesting kind of in those I've had I've had sort of various situations throughout my career that have surprised me a little bit in terms of how I felt about something either happening or not. You know, I've had, you know, like like I got I got axed at Panther Racing halfway through the year and I was like relieved. Like I was glad. Yeah. You know, and that was a weird it was just how I felt about it. You know, it was like such a kind of screwed up situation for me by the time that I had gotten to that point we were on I was on such different pages from ownership and you know kind of where things were going and what needed to happen and and what I was bringing to the table or not or whatever um and this was just like the polar opposite you Mm -hmm. know like just feeling totally gutted that you know I wasn't out there so I say that kind of just to say it's you know, in a way I felt good that I felt that bad about it, that yeah. it's like, it makes you, it's informative sometimes to let yourself kind of yeah. lean into those feelings and, that you've uh, not just switched off and like accepted that you were never going to drive at the speedway again. Yeah. Or, or, or that really I, you know, you kind of like, I think for me, I think myself, a lot, I'm not driving full time, full time. Like, what am I doing with the rest of my time? I do all kinds of stuff with the rest of my time yeah. that I don't like publicize or whatever, but, um, you know, I, it, it certainly creeps into the back of my mind, like, you know, would I be, I'm curious and interested in all kinds of stuff. Like, should I just like go back to, should I go get a degree and go work for an F1 team or something or whatever, whatever, whatever that might be. Um, 
you know, and so you kind of convince yourself sometimes that that's how you feel about it. It's not going to bother you when you, whether by choice or not, like stop actually doing the thing that you are there to do. And, uh, so this was definitely a little bit of a gut check, like, nope, <laughs> like that's, I'm not ready to move on. I'm sure there's people just yet, people you know? listening to the pod who are throwing things across that front room now at the thought of you not racing again and going to work in F1, <laughs> like that would be the worst case scenario that you wouldn't be racing anymore. I think that was one of the, uh, just going back to Ray Hall again, um, for the millionth time in this podcast, the, that was one of the things that really got me. And one of the th- first thoughts I actually had at the end of, at the end of qualifying there once things had calmed down a bit and that was just like disappointment that a driver who is not the worst driver in the grid has gone home like he is not even anywhere near close enough to being like the worst driver on the grid and could have won the race in 2021 if things had gone a bit different for him i, I guess i'm less convinced than he is put it that way that <laughs> sure. he was going to win that race but he was certainly he was in, the definitely mix. in the mix and they had saved so much fuel that they had strategy options there that were maybe going to give them, you know, a, a run down the stretch where they could they could have, you know, definitely been in the top five or, or gone for the win. Graham's certain that he would have won, 100% won the race if that wheel didn't fall off, but it's Graham. So uh, I guess you can take that any way you want. Um, I'm definitely not saying that he wouldn't have won the race. Just the, Race car driver 101. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, I, I, and I respect Graham for that. It's not a criticism of him at all. Um, but yeah, it just annoyed me a little bit that this, this is like this is the biggest race in the world for, for many people. It's the, the, the qualifying is if you speak to the engine builders or, you know, any of the teams, it's one of the, you know, to do four laps at 234 plus miles an hour. And to win the pole is like one of the coolest things you can do anywhere in motorsport. And to still think even, even with all that fun stuff going on, that there's people who've not made the field or there's drivers out there who should be in the field. It's, it's a sad thought that, this is the best race in the world and the best driver should be driving in it and, and going for the win. So I guess that's a slightly somber way to conclude the podcast, but I guess along the same note of the fact that we're, I guess we're not happy that you're not going to be on the grid, but um, I guess pleased that you uh, didn't like the, the feeling of walking down pit lane, <laughs> because that means at least you might work uh, and try and get something sorted for next year. <laughs> yeah. It definitely gave me uh, a little, a little punch in the punch in the rear side to, like make sure I do whatever I can. Not not that you don't anyway, but um, yeah. you know it gave it definitely gave you gave me a bit of that sense of urgency. Like no, like this is if if there was ever a question in the back of your mind about what just for myself what I should be doing and focusing on, uh-huh. um, you know that that uh, that kind of removed all doubt. All right, we'll call the pod there. That's uh, qualifying well broken down, I hope, with some good guests and uh, some fun quotes for you to listen to uh, as you go about your day. Uh, We'll definitely be back at some point, hopefully before the 500, with a cool guest of some description, shape or form. Those of you who are fans of the pod or listen regularly will know that we usually do some sort of retro episode in between qualifying and the race so you can go back and listen to those. In the meantime, we had Rick Mears last year, which was super cool and still one of the coolest things I've ever done is just sat in a room on my own with rick mears just chatting about the indy 500 that one of my greatest cool. regrets in life is not being there for that yeah interview, yeah so. yeah you had some probably some stupid driving meeting you had to go to or something <laughs> yeah. um and then yeah you can go back and listen to the alonso jr podcast in the previous year as well which was super informative um i guess it was more a beast podcast rather than a, an alonso jr podcast looking at the 
the the super engine that Roger Penske brought to the Indy 500 which was super cool. So go back and listen to those and make sure you check out the-race.com for your latest news, features, opinions, and all that sort of good stuff written by me, unfortunately. But you'll just have to put up with it because I'm the only guy who covers IndyCar at the race. And with that, we'll be back soon with another episode of the Race IndyCar Podcast. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.